Tomorrow I can do better than today. And today I need to do better than yesterday. And that's how you get better all the time. So you keep swinging at the fence, keep swinging your bat, the pitch is coming in, keep swinging. You still might be missing the ball, but at some point, you'll take enough swings that you'll start connecting. Hey Goal Achievers, welcome to Elite Achievement, your go-to podcast for service-based business owners who want to achieve their goals and grow their businesses. Hear inspiring stories from other business owners, learn goal achievement strategies, and overcome the challenges you face when growing your business. I'm Kristen Burke, your host and coach, here to help you achieve your goals. Together, let's close the gap between the goals you set and the goals you achieve. Today's guest reminds us that adversity is part of being an entrepreneur. And if you want to be successful, you have to keep swinging the bat. Elliot Collin, wealth advisor and founder of Prosperity Financial Group, shares how to overcome adversity. He brings over 30 years of experience to our conversation today. Listen in as Elliot teaches us the best way to gain clients and the phases of entrepreneurship. In addition to running his financial advising practice, Elliot founded a nonprofit called A Brighter Day in memory of his late son, Jake. Hearing Elliot's story is an emotional reminder that life can be full of adversity too. Welcome, Elliot. Great to be here, Kristen. Thank you. I appreciate you taking some time to connect with us because I'm guessing you don't have a lot of free time, Elliot. Uh, as the CEO of three different organizations, this time is very valuable and very precious. So thanks so much for coming on the show here today. Glad to be here. Thank you so much. Okay. So you run Prosperity Financial Group. Tell us a little bit more about what prompted you to start your own financial planning and advising practice. Right. Well, Prosperity Financial Group is a 30-year-old financial advisory firm. Like many others, it deals with high net worth or higher net worth clients. We invest. We're registered investment advisors. So we're fiduciaries. I started this about 30 years ago when we moved to California it's a business, and I'm, a, I'm an old accountant, and I left that because that was a really boring career, and it was short-lived for me because it was so boring, and started two other entities that I started from scratch and sold, and then came out to California and knew I was going to start something else. So we knew when we started, or I knew when I started Prosperity Financial Group, that we thought that the missing link in retirement planning was not the money. There are a lot of competent people and software that you can figure out that you need X dollars every year, to, every month and every year to live in your retirement and be happy with that. The missing link was the behavioral science part of the behavioral finance part of this, where what is going to happen to you in retirement? How do you stay healthy? How do you stay engaged? How do you stay involved? The average senior watches four hours of TV a day. Really? So TV is not really a good retirement plan, but it is the one that's out there more than any other retirement plan. And for people like me that can't play golf five days a week, what do you do? And so that's what we work on. I spend a lot of time with my clients, both pre-retirees and post-retirees, talking about their life instead of the money. The money's going to flow if we do our job right, but their life makes a big difference. Their grandchildren, what's important? Their legacy, what do we do with it? organize that family. Does education of the family matter? Do you want your children to take your money and blow it, buy another house, keep it, or do you, don't, do you want to die bouncing your last paycheck? That kind of thing. Uh, 
we want to talk about that. And that I thought was a missing link. So we spent at our office significant amount of time talking about the quality of your retirement, whether it's five years away or 15 years away, or you're in the middle of it. That makes a lot of sense because I, I'm sure so many people focus on the how, how we're going to get to the retirement. And they're not always thinking about how I'm going to feel or what it's going to be like when I'm actually in that retirement phase. That makes a huge difference because if, if you're not prepared emotionally, that, then you're not going to live a long time. You're not going to be healthy. You're not going to feel good about yourself. Everything's going to hurt on you, which you could anyway. Because, but you're going to be thinking about that all the time. So my wife's been retired for a couple of years now, and every now and then I'll catch her. She's watching Doctor Phil, Doctor Oz, Doctor This, the doctors. And by the time I come home, she's her knee hurts, her back hurts, and she's watching all these people talking about their achy pains. And I said, "You got to turn the TV off. You got to turn it off." And that's for most people. I have to recommend that to them. Turn the TV off. I know you yes. want to watch. That's different. You want to watch. Eight episodes on Netflix or Amazon Prime, go for it. You want to watch four hours of CNN and Fox, turn that TV off. Gosh. How did you know that I sometimes get sucked into Netflix and will binge watch a show? That's because you're human nowadays. (laughs) But you're you're speaking about something here, Elliot, that's really important as as we are entrepreneurs, and it's really shaping your mindset. So the the media that we consume, the books we read, the podcasts we listen to, etc., all of that shapes our mindset. And I am guessing after being in business for 30 plus years, you've had to overcome a lot of mindset challenges. So how can we as entrepreneurs grow our mindset? That's a great question, Kristen. And I wrote, just finished writing a book about that called Driven by Elliot Callen. It's an Amazon bestseller. So I'm going around the country signing books now and I could barely get my head through my front door any longer because my head's gotten so big doing that. <laughs> And so I wrote, a, I wrote that book about that very question, entrepreneurship and leadership and how that varies. Mm-hmm. So here's the challenge that we face as entrepreneurs. When we, th- we see these incredibly successful business people like Mark Zuckerberg, who have started something maybe by accident that really doesn't matter why, and they've got a multi-billion dollar company and they're wildly successful. And we think that's us. And most entrepreneurs are nothing like, have no story similar to Mark Zuckerberg, have nothing like Mark Zuckerberg. Even myself, this is my third entity that I started, Prosperity Financial Group. And my life looks like a little bit of a zigzag. Sometimes it's backwards, sometimes it's forward, sometimes it's up, sometimes it's down. Most entrepreneurs are like that. That's why I wrote the book. I wanted to give permission to entrepreneurs to have learning lessons or failures. We don't call them failures. But to have a get a bloody nose, to run out of money occasionally, and to say, I can survive. I can I have credibility, I have character, I have fortitude, I have integrity, and I can make this work. And if you can do that and not lose sight of your vision, you can become a very successful entrepreneur, even if you have to modify your vision along the way, because it just wasn't on day one what it should have been. That's okay, but you're staying true to it and you won't become self-destructive and go off the left field or right field. That's what I think entrepreneurship is. And for me, who's had an imperfect life, staying true and staying on focus is so important because I don't have a lot of time in my life to waste. And sometimes I'll go home after work and I'll think, well, that was a waste of time. And I don't want to feel like that ever. 
Sure. Well, I'm fascinated. You're running three organizations. You mentioned you're, you're married in a relationship and you wrote a book. How did you find time to write a book with everything else you have going on? So I dedicated every Saturday morning for a year to write the book. I came in my office about between five and seven in the morning. Every Saturday morning, I stayed till 11 or 12. So I could still have time to stay married because part of being an entrepreneur is you're always out of balance. You've got the balance of your business, mm -hmm. the balance of family, the balance of being a spouse for those that have one or a partner. They're never going to be in balance. And so you've got to get them in balance. And every day is a challenge. And that's what the book's about, the, get that challenge of balance. For me, writing the book was about telling the story, having some fun with it, telling some family stories Then I had to edit my family stories back out because I didn't like the way they sounded. <laughs> but it's also being honest and truthful with yourself because when you're not perfect, you better be honest with yourself or you're going to think you are. And that's part of the story about being an entrepreneur is, okay, tomorrow I can do better than today. And today I need to do better than yesterday. And that's how you get better all the time. Mm -hmm. So you keep swinging at the fence, keep swinging your bat, the pitch is coming in, keep swinging. You still might be missing the ball, but at some point you'll take enough swings that you'll start connecting. And some of those connections will become hits and maybe some of them will get over the fence. You're only out until you stop, until you're only out when you stop swinging. So don't stop swinging. Don't swing for the fences necessarily day one. Keep swinging the bat. The fences will come into play. Yeah. I think that's a great saying. You are only out when you stop swinging. And I know, Elliot, with a lot of my clients, it can be really difficult to keep swinging. So something bad happens in the financial services industry. You lose a client or your prospect decides to drop out of your sales cycle or they go with another advisor. What are some ways you have been able to keep swinging despite adversity? And there's a lot of that. I can tell you 2022, 20, maybe you don't even want to go home at night because your day was, the you know, market went down by 25%. So did, if you're like me, a fee-based advisor, your revenue went down by 25% on those clients. And they're mad at you because you should have known, you're, you should be smarter. Uh, or 2008, when everybody thought I was an idiot in 2008. Or 2001, like, didn't you know the dot-com bust was coming? And I've been around for those. And so it's painful, very painful, very frustrating. I worked really hard at not taking it out at home. So I learned to separate my day from my night with action. I taught myself how to become a quasi-gourmet cook. I don't want to say I'm gourmet because that would give me too much credit, but a quasi-gourmet cook with cool presentations and cool things. But when I walk in the door, that's when I become a Chef Elliot. Mm. And I can leave my work behind and open up a great bottle of wine. And boy, what a wonderful night I could have with a really bad day. And that's been my way of separating out. And I recommend that whatever business you're in, when things aren't going well, if you don't separate that out and you don't clear your mind and you don't get your breathing under control, so you can get these nice relaxing breaths. Then at two in the morning, you're going to wake up and that's all you're going to think about is what's going wrong in your company. And I've been there. I've thought about that hundreds and hundreds of times of what's not going right. At two in the morning, you never think about what's going right. It's always what's no. not going no. Well, most of the time, Elliot, I find you're not thinking about what's going right unless you have built a disciplined practice of celebrating your wins and your progress. I think our brains are just hardwired to focus on that negative. Yeah, and that's pretty hard to focus on the positive. I have to tell you, I'm not good at that. Uh, sometimes my staff has to correct me. When I go to industry meetings and I say, look, you had my two companies up and you know we're, we're approaching a billion dollars between these two companies that I own uh, with assets. 
They say, and you're running a charity? Their, their next question is, how do you do that? You're re that's really good. And, but I don't think about it in those terms. Mm -hmm. I just think about doing it, not think about the successes from it. Yeah. Why do you think that is? No, it's my mother's fault, I'm sure. Uh, uh oh. <laughs> I, I, you know, I had, I, my parents were, I had older parents, and my dad has gone 35 years, my mom 25. Okay. They were older. They were born in 1915 and 1918, respectively. And World War II happened and interrupted everybody's life. So for my dad, World War II happened, and he, be, he became a small business owner after World War II. And he taught the lessons to me about small business ownership and character and never to judge anybody by religion or race, but judge them by what's here. That was his lesson to me. And my mother was an Auschwitz survivor. So she was in a concentration camp in Europe. And her lesson to her children was you can do better. If somebody got, a, if I got a 90 on a test, her question, would, her statement would be, well, that's pretty good. Anybody get a 95? You can too. And if I got a 95, she'd say, anybody get a hundred? You can too. And granted, that wasn't real. My brother and sister were those people that got constant hundreds, and I wasn't. So we had that discussion a lot. Uh, but it was you can do better. And at her funeral, I actually, we asked, all got asked to say something about my mother. And I said, I will always remember my mother for teaching me the lessons of that you could do better tomorrow than you did today. And for my dad, it was you can never make up for hard work. Put the hard work in. Hmm. How do you think those lessons have helped you build successful companies? I think you've learned to get a bloody nose and not focus on getting a bloody nose because adversity is part of being an entrepreneur. Mm -hmm. um, painful learning lessons are part of being an entrepreneur. Some of them exceptionally painful. Some of them led to divorce. Some of these lead to family estrangement. Some of these lead to illnesses. There are lots of painful lessons out there. Um, I haven't had all those, but... I've had some of those. If you focus on tomorrow, getting better than it was, than it is today. And again, that's can be painful depending on a the lesson. Then you could, you know, in your heart, I will get through this and I will get through this and be more successful at whatever I want to be more successful at. You can't be successful at everything. I would like to be the next New York Jets quarterback. That's not going to happen. <laughs> how much effort I put in and training, I do. I'm not going to be their next quarterback, no matter what. So you have to be realistic as well. There was a point in my life I thought that might be realistic, but that wasn't realistic. Well. <laughs> but the, the point that you can do that, and I try to focus on getting better tomorrow. For instance, you're a golfer, and I play golf. There's a little bit difference between them. When I play, I want to get better. I actually play with people that want to get better. So sometimes I'll say, do you mind if I just drop another ball? If we're not counting anybody, any score but our own. Because sure. I want to get better. I can't get, if I hit a bad shot and we're not playing for money, we're not playing, maybe we're playing for a gin and tonic or something like that. I want to get better. So I drop the ball. And I know that I hit the ball off the hosel, off the toe. I didn't swing right. I swung too fast. My timing was off. I'm an overthinker anyway at everything I do. So if I can get another shot while I'm thinking about overthinking, I can get better doing it. Now I could do that at the driving range, but I lack the discipline to go to the driving driving range as often as I should. Sure, sure. Well, and I'm sure as long as the group behind you isn't waiting, no one's going to mind if you drop another ball. The trick to that is to always to play Saturday afternoons when all the the real golfers have finished the round of golf, and you're into people like us. 
Right. The, the who go out for fun, right? It's uh, for me, it's a great way to end the week and spend some time with my spouse and have a little bit of fun. And then sometimes I question why the heck we're even out here doing this. But, you know, that's OK. My wife and I, by the way, and one of the ways we get over playing golf is we play two person scramble all the time. So sometimes when she doesn't want to play, she'll sit in the cart with a gin and tonic in her hand and say, go hit my hit my ball. It's the second ball. That's perfect, right? You guys have figured it out and, and how to have fun with it as well. You mentioned, Elliot, that you're an overthinker. And in order to build a big company and build a big business, you have to take action, less thinking, more action. What are some of the ways you can minimize overthinking? Well, I recognize that too many entrepreneurs, and especially in our industry, have the paralysis by analysis routine. I don't think like an engineer. I, I do have about a 30% of my brain that is a bit of what I call a walk, which means it's, it's going to study, find out what's doing well, and then execute. I can't help but execute what I do. I mean, I can't help but take action. So if we've got a decision to be made, that entrepreneur hat is on, and I'm going to make a decision. I think it is better to ask for forgiveness than have to explain it all the way through this. So... That's how you also make more mistakes because you haven't given enough thought as an entrepreneur, but you need to win more than you lose. And the losses of taking quick action, you need to correct. And hopefully they're not devastating losses, devastating mistakes. I think that's a sign of good entrepreneurship is make a mistake, look at it, amend it, correct it and grow. Absolutely. Well, what are the phases of entrepreneurship? Great question. Uh, there are really three phases, and maybe there's a fourth. The first phase is the getting started phase. Mm. This is the call out the first pillar. I've got an idea. I want to go with it. I'm not sure what to do yet. I'm going to work it through. I want to start hiring some people around me. I need to get some capital. These are all initial startups on, on your business. The name is even part of that. You know, mm. all these things happen in the early phase, and you start to grow your business. You might run out of money. You might not. You might be undercapitalized and not understand that. But that's, that's phase one. Phase two is now I have an entity that's worth keeping. I still want it to grow, but I don't want to lose it anymore. Now I've got to think about capital markets, what it takes to grow to a new market, maybe how I introduce a brand new concept to my company. How do I surround myself with good people? How do I build a management team that wants to be here as much as I want to be here? How do I compensate them? That's really a phase two. And then phase three is now I've got something really good but I want to enjoy life a little bit more. I want to go on vacation more. I want to play more golf. I want to uh, have, drink better wine. I, I have some money in the bank now. How do I enjoy that? How do I see my kids more often? Maybe I wasn't around for my kids as much as I'd like because I worked some of those soccer games in, during on Saturdays and I have to be there. Now, how can I be around for them or maybe some grandchildren? And then in part of that phase three and maybe phase four is what happens to the wealth that I've created? Do I sell it? And in which case, what am I going to do with those proceeds? Do I pass it along to my heirs? Do I have the kind of heirs that would want to do that? Or do they just want the phase of my life that they've seen and they missed phase one and two? All they've seen is really the success of the end of two and the beginning of three. And they don't know what it takes to even go in on a Saturday or a Sunday just to empty the garbage cans. Things like that. You know, big eight accounting firms or big five accounting firms now. They're having a super hard time hiring people that want to work 70, 80 hours a week during tax season because the generation that does that, the 20 and 30-something crowd, they want more quality of life. They don't want to work that and put that time in like that. 
There's a generational shift going on with, with time versus effort versus remuneration. And are you the kind of person that says, wait a second, I know my kids want that, but they would be better off with me selling it and just giving them the money and let them figure out what to do with it. That's another big decision. And I think most small business owners that are in their 60s would be better off, I know it's a big broad paintbrush, but would be better off selling their entities and figuring out what to do with their money, enjoying life and getting it to the next generation in a fair or equitable way, whatever way they want to do it, and giving the kids the money to do what they want versus trying to get the next generation to be the square peg in a round hole and do what you paid the price to do that they never visualized or witnessed. Sure, sure. I know that's really a broad statement, but I think it's more true than not true. Well, it's interesting to explore those four phases because I think a lot of times we talk about phase one and phase two quite often. But again, it goes back to how we started our conversation with how do people want to feel in retirement? I'm sure a lot of times as entrepreneurs, we're not thinking about how do I want to feel when I've built this? Like what what happens next? And so starting to think about that succession plan is really important. You know, there are so many writers that came before you and I uh, were around in, in the business world who wrote wonderful books about begin with the end of mind, visualize your end, um, never give up, and so forth. Starting with the, the original Napoleon Hill book, Think and Grow Rich, all that, that's where it started. And the concept to visualize what success looks like is predates me for sure. And you cannot, it's, I don't want to say you cannot, it is so hard to start your business and begin with what success looks like or begin with the end in mind, which is what people talked about in the old days. But I think as you grow your business, you can begin to say, wow, this is something that has legs or this is something that at some point I want to step away from and have somebody else do it or have a whole new entity do it. Or, or my biggest competitor that I've hated my whole, my whole life can now become my greatest ally. You want to begin to visualize that because what's going to happen, and it happens too often in my industry, is when I go to these industry conferences, you see men, and it's primarily all men, 70, 75, and 80-year-old gray hair men still doing this because they don't have any hobbies. Wow. And they say, I like my clients and I like what I do. But in reality, they don't have anything else to do. I don't want to be that person. And I don't think it's a good place to be. It's an unhealthy place to be. But I don't want to be any, I, I don't mind being an 80-year-old entrepreneur of some entity, but it's the one I started in my 70s, not the one I started in my 40s or 30s. Makes sense. Makes sense. Well, I know you've worked really hard to build your financial planning practice. I'm curious, what has been the most effective way for you to gain new clients? Well, I'd like to tell you, Kristen, that it's been all these marketing programs that we're all over social media. We're all over Comcast with commercials all the time. I'm a, I have a whole t marketing team here that works for us that I put in place shortly before COVID. And when COVID hit, man, we hit the ground running. We have 55 or 60 episodes of Meet the Expert with Elliot Callen uh, out there. And it's on all the podcast stuff. It's wonderful. But in reality, nothing has worked better than good client referrals. And everything else has supported that concept. Have we gotten people from the internet? Yes. Have we gotten people from dinner seminars at Flemings and Ruth Chris? Yes. But it's been referrals because these people have said, you know, I'm really not happy. And they turned to people like Chris and said, who do you use and why? Um, and you said, hey, you should recommend Elliot Callen. He's really done a great job. Not perfect, 
tough markets. We lose money too. But he's done a great job. And from an integrity and communication standpoint, nobody's going to do better out there than what we're doing. And then they've seen a commercial for Elliot Callen on TV during a Warriors game or during a Giants game or during an, a Jeopardy. And he said, oh, I got to call him. And so we've that's been much better at reinforcing what we do. We get 20 leads a week from social media at the, and barely one of them turns into a real appointment. So there are a lot of people that are answering social media ads all day on Saturdays and Sundays, and they're answering 50 people like me around the country with no real seriousness about meeting with anybody. So it's an exercise at the end of the day, but you got to do it. Sure. I think that's really interesting how you bring up nothing replaces good client referrals. And in this day and age where we're on social media and there's a lot of influencers and there's a lot of online businesses, I know when I started my own business, I got a little confused on what was going to be the best way to get clients. And when you're running a service-based professional business, nothing beats a client referral. I cannot agree with you more. Yeah, think about you're you're in the coaching world. If if I'm your client and I get a lot out of get a lot of value and also have some great outcomes, because you need both. If I have that, I'm gonna well for me, I'm gonna tell the world about it. I'm gonna interview you on my Meet the Expert. I'm gonna be telling clients, this is what I got out of her, my corporate clients. This is why you use her, here's her phone number. I don't get paid for doing this. I just have gotten a lot out of it. I don't want to share. So if you can develop some raving fans of what you do, nothing's going to beat that. Absolutely. Absolutely. Do you have any ideas on how our listeners can develop raving fans? That's hard because it's, but it is about you. I mean, everybody wants great service. They want, call it Rich Carlson service or, you know, Nordstrom's service. They want, although Nordstrom's is getting beaten up right now, but they want really great service. They want to feel really special. Let's face it. Everybody is in the world of what's in it for themselves at first. So they want to know that you're listening to them. You care more about them than you care about yourself. You're there for them. You're there when they're experiencing something tough. You didn't run away. Maybe you. they just need to tell you what's going on with their teenage son or daughter and that something really bad happened or hopefully something bad doesn't happen. They need somebody to listen. If you can get through that phase, then you are an endeared, close, confident of them. And that's when they want to share you. When you're just a financial advisor in my world, or you're just a coach, ho-hum, there are 3 million financial advisors. I get hit every day, and so do probably my clients with a coach or every week that can really get them from point A to point seven. I mean, one to seven overnight. We're going to quadruple our sales in three years. And I'm the only one that knows how to do that. There are a lot of people that tell that story. But when you get somebody else saying, well, wait a second, there's a lot of fluff out there. She actually did or he actually did it. Now you've got a story to tell. Story to tell, yeah. I appreciate how you brought up the concept you have to care more about other people than yourself. And it's been stated, people don't care what you know until they know how much you care. And I think that that's sometimes a mistake that we can make is we want to share all this knowledge that we've accumulated over all these years, but it's really taking the time to step back and ask questions and getting to know someone that can help you develop those raving fans. You know, I had a lunch with somebody and we're only human here. I had a lunch with somebody. And during that, we were kind of talking a little bit about politics, which is, you know, never talk about it. It's a third rail, but we live in, 
live in California and everybody's always talking about politics here. And so they were talking about how upset they are about who's running for president and um, parties. And I should have spent more time with them to understand more of them. Instead, they asked me, so what do you think? And I gave my opinion of that, that supported me. I don't need to share it here, but that supported me. And then again, they, and we jumped to another subject and I was mad at myself that all afternoon that I didn't dig deeper into how they feel and then talk about how they feel about politics because that's way more important than how I feel. And I didn't do it. So we're only human, but it bothered me for hours. For sure. What are some ways, Elliot, you have grown yourself over the years of entrepreneurship? So have you found it's been working with coaches or going to conferences? What are what are some of the ways you've grown yourself? It's been both, Kristen. That's a great question. Again, with big, broad strokes here, uh, brushes. I went in my 20s. I started to follow Anthony Robbins, Tony okay. Robbins. I did the Weekend of Destiny, Walked on Fire. Uh, in those days, they were CDs and cassette tapes and that stuff. And uh, and listened to him in a car and so forth and so on. And then Wayne Dwyer and, 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 and all these people who are motivational speakers. I love the fact, I love the motivational speakers. And I thought at some point, I hope I can become a motivational speaker. And I joined National Speakers Association with that intent at one point. And I, I, but I wasn't disciplined enough to turn it into a business um, or focused enough to do that. But I always love that. So motivational people I love and be around. So that's coaches. You are a motivational person because your job is to get me better than I am or point A to point C in the shortest way with the least painful program that you can do using my talents. And that's, I love those people. I try to read motivational books. My book, I hope that I just came out with Driven is somewhat motivational. Uh, we'll see what happens with that. If other people agree with it. Uh, and maybe I can get on the road and share that book, which is we're doing a couple book signings coming up. And, and that would be great if we can motivate people. The charity is that we created a brighter day, a brighter day is designed to motivate teens and their families to change their lives uh, away from stress and depression with the goal of stopping suicide. So we talk about this on a regular basis in a very human way that in a very frail and fallible way to let you know that I'm you. I'm just, I'm just like you. I make mistakes. I put my pants on the same way. I'm divorced once in my life. I have a, two very long-term relationships, first marriage and second marriage, but I still, there's a divorce in the middle of that. I have a child that took his own life. I'm the parent of a child that committed suicide. It doesn't get any worse as a parent than that, period. And I'm not knocking anybody who's lost a child to illness there, but it's a pretty horrible outcome um, and tried to make the best of that. It's just being focused on doing better tomorrow and knowing that you don't have all the tools. So other people have these tools and they can share those with you and you can grow from their tools as well. I appreciate you sharing some of your background uh, with us. And I was going to ask what motivated you to start your charity. And I think I know the answer now. Well, Jake, our son Jake was a sophomore at the University of Montana, age 19. Uh, we didn't know that he was suffering from depression. No drugs, no alcohol. On a Thursday night, he walked up to the highway, waited for a truck to come by and jumped in front of it. And all day Friday, we were frantically looking for him because his phone was off. And Federal Express showed up with a suicide note. And in that note, he wrote, Mom and Dad, I've been thinking about this for a long time. I never would have asked for your help. I never would have told you how I felt. 
and I never would have taken your help. And on that note, coming home a few days later with his body to, for burial, I turned to his mom and I said, we have to do something to stop this devastation and destruction that we're starting to feel from happening to other families. We have to stop this. And that became the foundation for the charity, A Brighter Day. And we now have five to 10,000 people a month that use our resources in some form of texting and live counseling and Zoom counseling and internet products and hundreds of articles we've written of original content in schools all the time that are using that. And so we are making a difference in the lives of people every day. And that couldn't be more different than helping people in retirement. They have nothing to do with each other. But that's okay because if you're looking for a purpose in your life to change lives, I just found two of them. Wow. Well, I'm at a loss for words, Elliot, as you share that story and, um, you know, feeling emotional myself as a mom and you can't even imagine what, what you and your family experienced there. And so um, I'm, I'm curious if our listeners want to know more about A Brighter Day, what's the best way for them to find out about that organization? It, it's got a great website, abrighterday.info or .org. They both will work. And they can email me for more information at Elliot, E-L-L-I-O-T, at abrighterday.info. I don't get paid from it. I'll never take a penny from it. Um, it's okay. It's not what it was designed for. Right. Well, thank you so much for, for sharing that. And I want to know, what is one piece of advice you would give financial advisors that are listening to this episode? I would sum it up in one word, and that would be resilience. You are going to get more no's than you're going to get yeses. It may be 100 to 1. It may be 40 to 1, 10 to 1. Whatever the number is, keep swinging the bat. Keep talking to people. Trust is your number one character trait, not competency. It's trust. If you don't have competency, you'll lose trust. But they're looking at you first being competent, and they made that decision in the first five minutes. Trust is a big thing. Hard to gain, easy to lose. But they are giving you their money, their life savings, and they have to trust you all the time that you're making the right decision. Fantastic. Well, if our listeners want to know more about the work you do at Prosperity or the book you wrote, Driven, what's the best way for them to connect with you? Great. The website is prosperityfinancialgroup.com. And my email address is Elliot, E-L-L-I-O-T, at prosperityfinancialgroup.com. I know we shared here at the end quite a few links and contact information. So Elliot, we'll make sure to put that all in the show notes. And I thank you so much for spending time with me today and for sharing a lot of your leadership insights and entrepreneurship insights and some of your personal story and what you have gone through to get to where you are today. I thank you so much for having me on. It's been a pleasure. Yes. With that goal achievers, keep celebrating your weekly wins noting your lessons learned, and identify your priorities for next week so you can consistently pursue progress in the direction of your goals. Hey, Goal Achiever, congrats on investing time in your growth and finishing another episode. If you are left craving more goal achieving and business growing wisdom, visit my website, kristenburke.com and check out the resources page. Here you will find my popular breakout plan, which has helped hundreds plan, prioritize, and progress towards their goals, vision prompts to help you draft your vision, and a mid-year check-in 
to help you reconnect and reignite your passion for your goals. Together, let's close the gap between the goals you set and the goals you achieve.